Regan. That, oh, they need a bit more enthusiasm. All right. So we're going to do the, bring the Bible reading, and it's from Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 24 through to chapter 11, verse 18. So a bit of a longer one today, a bit of a story. Um, so Acts chapter 10, 24 through to 11, 18. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God, had but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it is good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. Now, I now, yep. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts accepts from evil. Every every nation, the one who. Yes. Fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. 
So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. When they asked Peter, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life.
understood just how much God does not have favourites. <laughs> how did he get here? How did this man Peter get here? That's what I want us to look at. Let me, let me, let me take you how he got here. Let me take you what this meant for him. Let me take you through what this might mean for you and for us as a group today to say that we realise, I realise, like he realised, how true it is that God does not show favouritism. Well, last week we covered some stuff, we read over some stuff. You did, you did hear it in the reading again today. And now my buzzer doesn't want to work, Mike. If you want to... Yes. No worries. Thank you. Don't do it again. <laughs> um, you've heard this last week. You've heard it this morning. We're, we're, we're later on in the reading, and I'm not going to unpack the whole reading. It's far too big, but... Peter, it's a weird thing. If you're new to church, if you're new to God, if you're new here today, all of this stuff would be kind of weird to you. And, 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 and bear, bear with it for today. But, but Peter gets this, this vision where, where, where God kind of shows him something, this large sheet. And engage your imagination for, for me here, what this would have been like for him. That gets let down from heaven. He sees all these animals four-footed ones, reptiles, to us, nothing really strange, but to him, super strange. Because God says to him, kill, eat some of these things. And he recoils, he goes, no, <laughs> never, not going to do it. Why not? Well, he had good reason, very strange to us, but but Peter was a Jewish man, and the Jewish people were sort of the people whom God has, uh, has called all throughout history, to whom he said, you know, I'm going to use you in a very special way in world history. Because it's from you that I'm going to bring the world Jesus. They were no better than anyone else, but they were kind of different in the way that God has chosen to use them. And for all the years before Jesus comes, God says to them, you're going to live life a little bit differently to everyone else because I'm going to make sure that you kind of do look different and seem different because I have a different purpose for you as a people group. One of the things that God said to them, you're going to do differently from everybody else until Jesus comes, is this. You're going to... We read this way back in the Bible from a book called Leviticus. You must make a distinction between clean and unclean animals, between unclean and clean birds. Don't defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground, those that I have set apart as unclean for you. And God gives them this whole list of things. And so, for example, to this day, we know that, you know, pork, uh, you won't find a pork chop often at all on devout Jewish people's plates. Reptiles and things like that uh, you will not find. And you've got to get the picture here. For the better part of 4,000 years, this is a distinctive mark 
that Jewish people carry that says, this symbolizes our differentness from the rest of creation. That God has a special purpose for us. And now, <laughs> God says to Peter, <laughs> no more. No more. I tell you, undo that. Eat. Eat whatever is on the sheet. Eat whatever I show you. Eat whatever I, I, I bring you here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for Peter, of course, as you read the story, you get, you get the idea that it stuns him. It's not in today's reading, but, but the sheet goes back up and he goes, what on earth does this mean? I think the story said a couple of times Peter sat and he was wondering about the meaning of this vision. And then the story goes on. Remember last week, the messengers from Cornelius rocks up to Peter's place. Peter at this stage is in this, uh, this little place called Joppa and our little mud map. They come from Caesarea. Last week we did the whole thing of how God incredibly connects these two places. He, he spoke to Cornelius, who's a Gentile man, who's kind of looking for God, but he's not really fully into church and all that stuff. He's interested in God, but not really sure, not really committed. In the meantime, this vision gets shown to Peter. Messengers come from this place, Caesarea. They rock up to Joppa. Peter says, yep, cool, I'll go with you because God tells me this would happen. And so he goes. Eventually, he shows up in Joppa at Cornelius' house and he asks him, why have you sent for me? Cornelius tells him the whole story of what happened to him and then he concludes his introduction by saying, now, Peter, here... We'll be all are in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you. Can you imagine that? For Peter, rocking up into this house of this man Cornelius through the circumstances that we've been through and here they all sit, they all look to him and they say, tell us what's going on. We don't know what's going on. What is going on? And Peter there's the statement. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. What is right. Okay. Let me tell you what I think the issue is that this strikes at for us. Here it is. The core issue that this is all about is who is church for? Who is church for? Who is God for? Who is Christianity for? Whose is it? To who does it belong? <laughs> that's, that's what's underneath all this. You know what I hear most often from my, my, my non-Christian friends and, and the reading, and, and if you're not part of the church here this morning, think, think, think for me, will you, if, if you're on Zoom on this. You know, the, 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 
the number one thing I hear often from those who are not part of the church, maybe interested in God, but maybe not, is that I, I, my association with the church is that I am going to be judged. I'm going to be judged by God, by Christians. So it's not for me. Christianity is for those who have it all together, those, those, who, those who have life together, those who have themselves together, those who have morality together, and so and so. The one common theme that, that I hear from people is, is simply this: I, I I would feel, when it comes to the church, that that I'm inferior to belong to it. Or more recently in our society, just sheer anger at the church, hatred for its perceived better than everyone else. Christians are known for what they're against, usually, not what they're for. Against same-sex marriage, against abortion, against euthanasia, against all those things. We're better. And, and the general consensus of the world is we stuff you. You, you think you're better than the rest of us. I'm not commenting on what we should think around those things, but that is the overwhelming perception of, of those who are sitting outside the church. And I wonder, friends, I wonder if this, to a degree, is Cornelius. Listen very carefully to Peter's words to the, the crowd that's there at Cornelius' house as, as, he, as he starts. I just want to make sure that it's up. Um, yeah, look at the top line for me there in verse 27. <laughs> it's incredible. Listen to Peter's words as he enters. He, he says, You who are here <laughs> are well aware that it is against our law for me to associate with you. This should not happen in the way that the world works, in the way that my world works. Can I suggest perhaps that it seems often for me as if even in our day, right now, this is the status quo amongst us. It, it reads something like this. You are well aware that it is against our law for us to be friends or intimate because my life is perfect. I'm happily married to one wife with three wonderful kids who go to the Christian school. My house is clean. My lawns are mowed, mostly, I'm heavily against same-sex marriage on my Facebook page. I know the Bible very well and I can pray pretty lofty, well-rounded prayers. While you are not really sure even about your own sexuality, you're divorced, your kids are quite lost in their own way, you seem to have no control over your thoughts and behaviours, your family life is a mess, you're overwhelmed with feelings of inferiority and failure, and going to church is the last thing on your mind, let alone pray, read the Bible, the, despite the fact that you, like Cornelius, suspects, knows, even yearns for God. 
That's the law for our culture. There's more laws that perpetuates the distinction. But it goes something like this. You are well aware that it is against our cultural law for me to associate with you. But, Peter says, and here's the guts of it, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Did you notice the change in Peter's words? God showed him sheet full of animals. These aren't people. But his understanding when he walks into Cornelius' house with that bunch of people who are so radically different from him is, I should not call anyone, not anything, anyone. I should not consider anyone unclean or unworthy for that matter of, for, of church or of God. Here's the point. There is no distinction in God's love and desire to know all people and for all people to know him. Church is for you. God is for you, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from. I find it so fascinating when my kids sometimes ask me, um, Dad, you're in the room this morning. <laughs> They're actually listening and looking at me. You sometimes ask me, don't you? Dad, who's your favourite child? Dad, who do you love the most? Have you even been asked that? Every parent knows the answer to that question. And you might say, well, that's easy now because they're young and they're cute and they're cuddly and all the rest of it. But every parent know that the answer to that question never changes. No matter if one child does well in life, is successful, is well-adjusted, is whatever else we would say is successful, and the other child is troubled, caught in drugs, lost their way, Mum, Dad, who do you love the most? <laughs> I love them both. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they've been. And you know what? That's God. That's God. God loves you. Do you realise how true it is that God shows no favouritism? No difference, cranky. <laughs> no difference between, between the, the Christian who's been here all their life and the person who's here for the first day who's, 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 who's like that child who's lost their way. No favoritism at all. So let me then just wrap up because I think this is the, the main thrust of this whole event in Acts. I want to talk to you if you are the wayward child or the Gentile or the one who has not had the past with God. But you suspect your present is with him and you desire your future to be with him. Peter preaches to all those people, all those Gentiles. A very long sermon. I'm not going to do the whole thing for you. I'm going to summarise the key points and call you to a response. Number one, 
As he goes through the history, he says, everyone who believes in this man, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. If you're new to church, if you're new to God, if you're new to faith, you believe, like everybody else here, that your life is broken, that you are a failure, that you have stuffed up, that you do need forgiveness for your sin, just like everybody else. And you believe the Christian message that this man, Jesus, died the death you should have died for the forgiveness of your sin, raised to life, that you will be raised to life with him. Then you're in it. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then somewhere in the sermon that Peter preaches to them, and I need you to catch this, if you read it carefully, do it at home, perhaps there's an interesting part where the Holy Spirit gets poured out on all those there. Forgive me if that's really strange language. I can't unpack it too detailed today. But it happens unexpectedly. Peter doesn't get to finish his sermon. <laughs> Halfway through. <laughs> it's, just, it's just this incredible experience where the people in there, and there's this, this phenomenon that happened in the early church, it happens in church today still, where people break out in, in, in praying in other languages, sometimes known, intelligible languages, sometimes uh, angelic languages, and there's this real sure um, sign, at least there and then, that God is with them, that God is approving of what's going on here. And that happened to the early Jewish Christians early in Acts, and now it happened with the Samaritan Christians later on. They're somewhat half Jewish, you know, uh, mixed in with the Jewish race, the chosen people, and now it's happening with all our Gentiles. They too get it the same way as everybody else did, right? Breaking out in this pouring out of God's Spirit who now lives in them too. And then Peter says, oh well, if this has all happened, surely no one can stand of these people's way to get baptised. Baptism is that symbol of Christianity that you're washed of your sins. You're in a relationship with God. God has come to live in you and will change you and transform you and fill you into the person who he wanted you to be all along. That's what Peter says, and that's what I'm saying to you today, if you are identifying with Cornelius. We still have some people who we need to baptise out of our last call for baptism. I will follow up with you. But I invite you today, if you're new, and if you've joined, and if you're a Cornelius who says yes, I understand who Jesus is. I do want God's spirit to live in me. You should get baptised. I want you to talk to me after the service. We'll have a conversation. We'll see where it leads. I don't think you need to know all the ins and outs of the Christian faith. I don't think Cornelius did. I don't think those people there did. They only heard what Peter told them in that one sermon and they got baptised. So I encourage you, I encourage you to take my invitation up because church is for you. And then finally, as I close off, I just want us to look at Peter because maybe you don't associate with Cornelius in this story. Maybe you associate more with Peter. 
Let's just look at him. I, I'm not going to take you through the whole story of, of um, Peter goes back to Jerusalem where he came from in the beginning. He travels back down here. And the people there are going, the Jewish people are going, oh, we don't know about this. <laughs> These other people, you, you, you baptised them, you, you, you brought them into the church, you, you, you what? Uh, they're a bit uneasy with it. You can tell that it stretches them a little bit beyond what they're used to, beyond what they're familiar with, beyond what they're perhaps even comfortable with. But I loved how Peter then tells them the story of what happened. And their response is, when they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God, saying, wow, God is like this. God welcomes anyone who believes. He seeks to receive his spirit, who's willing to get baptized. That's it. What a beautiful response of the church. And, and, and that we would be a church like that, that the church of today would be like that, known for that. So accepting, so welcoming. Now you'll say that, okay, there's trouble later on in Acts, if you know your Bible, still from this tension between new people in the church and old people not happy with it. Yes, we'll get there, we'll deal with that. But that's a different issue. That issue is really with, once people are in the church, what should they do? How should they live? That's, that's what the fight was about there. For here, they've got no problem. Welcome. And then look at Peter. I, I love how Peter respects God's desire to change him. You know, all his life, his, his Christianity was lived out in a certain way. He only ate certain foods. He only associated with certain people. His whole world was set in that mindset. And now God's changing him. Now God's saying, no. In my purposes, in my mission, in my work for this world, you've got to change. You're going to have to <laughs> reflect my heart of openness and welcome for people who are different like you. Even if that requires changing your fundamental identity as a, as a Jewish person. If you are a Christian listening to this, I ask that you would prayerfully bring this before God. How are you calling me to change? How am I supposed to be fundamentally changed to reflect the heart of God in the purposes of God, in the mission of God? How am I reluctant and unwilling to become who God is calling me to be for the sake of church being for everybody? At an individual level, God wants to change each of us, grow each of us, if you're a Christian. As a church, God wants to change pathway. We're on a wonderful journey with that. May it continue. May the heart and the DNA and the attitude of our church continually be to see God, how do you want to change us? That it's clearly understood by our community around us that this, we, you, are for them. This is not for us alone, at least. That God may just continue that. That he may just continue to so change us, so shape us, and we too, like Peter, can say, we too realise just how true it is that our God 
shows no favoritism. Not to me, not to us, not to no one. Let's pray. God, we confess firstly that we do struggle with this, we do wrestle with it. Deeply ingrained in all of us is a lack of understanding how true it is that you are for everybody who will seek you. Would you help us, each of us individually, as a church, to go on, to continue on this wonderful journey that you call us on to change, to repent, to reach outside of ourselves, to become who we're called to be for the sake of those who you want to plug into your family, that which will guaranteed give us the greatest joy of our lives. Lord God, I pray for those who would classify themselves perhaps as, as a Cornelius again or a Gentile again, who doesn't quite know all the ins and outs of the Christian faith, but who knows that you are real God, who yearns for your presence in their lives as children of you. Perhaps the words they're looking for is to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to be able to pray to you, to be able to be healed by you, restored by you, redeemed by you, who have no qualms with understanding that they have sin that need to be dealt with and open to look at this person, Jesus, to deal with it, to renew them, to forgive them, to restore them. If there are those here this morning, Father, would you bring them to baptism, to becoming children of you, grow in a life with you. We ask we pray in your name alone, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.